Make Life Delicious, the podcast, is more than the food we eat. It's what else in life that makes us feel, be, and act delicious. We'll have conversations about real life, its messiness, and the things we can't live without. The ups, the downs, and the things we do on the daily to maintain our health, strength, and our balance. We'll talk about the unconventional wisdom and the alternative practices used in raising families, from healing to sex, because life's juicy. We are so excited and so ready to share how we make life delicious every day and how you can too. This is a Soul Fire production. As part of our Make Life Delicious podcast and Curry Girls Kitchen community, you already know the power of healthy eating and feeling vibrant. Chances are you're already taking care of so many other people and focusing on bringing fullness and goodness into their lives. But are you doing that for yourself? Start restoring your energy and joy with our seven-day reset program. In just seven days, you will begin to feel and see the difference. We'll show you how to detox your body with delicious foods using our delicious recipes and meal plans. It's time to eat the food that will help you feel your best. Start taking care of yourself today by signing up for our self-guided seven-day reset program. Go to currygirlskitchen.com or follow the link in the show notes. Today on Make Life Delicious, Megan and I are really happy to welcome in a friend, a family friend, an old friend, a friend that's grown up with our kids. And Autumn Bates joins Megs and me today to talk about what she's created over, I don't know, how many years now has it been? Like about three years. Three years. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So Autumn <laughs> so cool. created Autumn L Nutrition, a nutrition wellness blog with so many offerings about health, fitness, and healing. But let's back up a little bit. A little background on this amazing, passionate, accomplished young woman. So Autumn, you graduated magna cum laude as a certified clinical nutritionist, a certified personal trainer. You hold a bachelor's degree in nutrition and dietetics. You earned a master's degree in nutrition and human performance. And her area of expertise is working with athletes to optimize their performance through delicious and scientifically proven methods. That's really cool. (laughs) But has also helped countless people, like so many people with their weight loss and health through your intermittent fasting program, which we personally love because so many of the girls do it. But really, Autumn's passion is to increase the health in every aspect of life through nourishing foods and advanced strategies. Love this. Autumn is dedicated to teaching the science and mechanisms of exactly how to achieve optimal health. Like, who doesn't want to know that? That is your juice, Autumn, right there. Like, so amazing. (laughs) Autumn is as passionate about food, and like us, right, as she is about fitness and health, and that is why we love you, Autumn, so much. So within our Autumn L Nutrition blog, intermittent fasting programs, individualized nutrition consultations, her YouTube videos, we are completely obsessed. You two will totally fall in love with Autumn's nerdiness, as she calls herself, (laughs) as Hundreds of thousands of her fans have already discovered her on her wildly successful YouTube channel. So now we get to share, how do we know this amazing human young being, like amazing? So we met Autumn and her family 
at elementary school when she was all of five years old. Mm -hmm. She's a neighbor. She was one of Megan's sister's classmates, and we've been close friends with her family ever since. Autumn's been a guest speaker at our reset and cleansing workshops, and Meg and her sisters love her incredible intermittent fasting program. We all love watching Autumn's super fun and informative YouTube channel. In fact, I have to confess that I binge watch it sometimes. <laughs> it's so good. Exactly. I totally love and relate to all that you do. You know, I love that you describe yourself as a nerdy kind of person, but I, I do. I just, I love you so much. And we are so grateful that you're here. You know, thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. It's so fun. Yeah. Cause like you said, I mean, our, You've been with us when we did our cleanses here and then seeing your evolution as you've graduated and what you've built in these three years is epic. I mean, it's amazing as a personal client of yours before and having done and do the intermittent fasting program every now and again and all the exercises that are there, you are such a wealth of knowledge and are so ridiculously smart. I <laughs> love, love the science you bring into it because it's like for so much, you can talk about it and you do this. But when I was really struggling as a very healthy and health conscious person and I'm eating the right foods, the way you break it down and make it so digestible and so easily ready to incorporate and not like you demystify all of the science and make it easy to understand. I just it's amazing. Thank you. But I also have to note, you said digestible and that's something that Trevor's been trying to like make a thing. So my fiance, Trevor, where he says like, you should describe as like, it's digestible, like a pun, like yes. air And I was like, that's so cheesy, but okay. I love that. <laughs> but it's true. Me and your fiance, Trev, we know what's up. I love cheesy puns. It's my favorite. <laughs> um, so I'm just, how did how did your journey in all of this begin? Did you always know you wanted to have this YouTube channel with your nutrition? Like, how did this evolve? So I guess, well, are you asking like, how did I get into nutrition or the YouTube channel? Because those are definitely... I think it's more, how'd you get involved? You know, how'd you get hooked onto food? Because I mean, you're clearly, you love food. You're passionate yeah. about food. You're passionate about nutrition. Even before you even went to college, it, the bug was planted. Yeah, I... It's been like a, such an interesting evolution. I can't really pinpoint what it was that made me be like, oh, I'm going to enter into nutrition. Um, but I think growing up with my dad as a chiropractor had me um, instill this really unique type of outlook on health and wellness that not a lot of other, you know, it's a very small percentage of people that view health in this way where um, you view it as you know, your body heals itself. You just need to take away whatever's blocking it from, from doing that. So I think that like chiropractic philosophy of like inside out healing is something that I've always just mentally had. And as growing up, as I saw how I was able to change my diet to help myself with so many different aspects of my life, um, and how much of an impact that had, it made me realize how that directly correlates to what you eat as well. So initially I wanted to go to school, um, something in science, which I never thought that that's what I was going to do <laughs> because initially I like leading up through college, middle school. I mean, you guys know we had that amazing, um, video production program in school, um, starting at like sixth grade. I did that through sixth grade through 12th grade, thought I wanted to be like a director for a film and literally was going to be like applying to schools for that. And then one day I just like picked up a nutrition book, literally like that, <laughs> so stereotypical and just read how it is that nutrition can have such a big effect on our body. 
Um, I Looking back at that nutrition book now, I don't necessarily agree with everything it says, but it lit that spark for me mm-hmm. um, of deciding, okay, well, maybe I want to go into the field of science because this is really interesting on how things actually work within the body. Um, and initially it was like, okay, med school, then naturopath, then uh, really food is like my passion. And, I, and that's where you can make a lot of changes, like anyone can do it. Um, and I like that sense of empowerment. God, I love you. <laughs> and that also makes so much sense about your YouTube. It okay. kind of like plays in. You get it. You've married both of I those know. things. It's, it's actually yeah. really funny because I I didn't even know like people had YouTube channels. Like I didn't use YouTube at all. Yeah. And it was actually my mom who was like, oh, you should start a YouTube channel. I was like, what is that? Like, I don't, <laughs> you mean like watch the cat videos? Like, I don't really, <laughs> like I've never used YouTube. And so I like just decided to come out. This is like six months into um, like starting my own business and starting to see people one-on-one. And, um, and that's when I was like, okay, I'll just put out a, a couple videos. And then I just started taking more seriously. I started to like watch other YouTubers in completely different fields. Now it's all I watch. It's so entertaining. Yes. Um, same. But yeah, it's just like all thanks to my mom for why I have a YouTube channel. Oh my <laughs> Love God. Love Kelly. Oh, she is definitely a huge cheerleader of yours. Yeah. It's so <laughs> fun. I love her. So in this kind of journey of yours, you know, you, um, you're in college, you're studying everything. Was there any changes while you were in college that were like, mm, I don't know which direction I should go? I guess, you know, because you you bit off a lot while you were in college. You know, I, I don't see you like with everything that you were doing, you were getting degrees in nutrition, dietetics, fitness, everything. Did, did you have fun? <laughs> I want to make sure, you know, I, I wanted to make for sure you myself, had fun. <laughs> I mean, for me, I'm not like, I've never been someone who's comfortable in like a party situation. Mm. Like I had that brief stint in my first, like maybe year of mm-hmm. like living what you would call like a stereotypical college life. But I like, I have a history of anxiety that did not make my anxiety better. It made it so much worse. And I'm just not interested in that. You know, like I'm not interested in, um, even now I really don't drink. I don't have a problem with people who do. It's just, that's not something that's interesting to me. Um, so for me, it was like, okay, I'm a weirdo in college. Like that is, I totally understand that and accept that. And I'm not going to change myself to like try and fit what it is that other people are doing just because you're supposed to be doing it. Like I literally have my brother being like, Autumn, you need to go out and drink more because that's like the only time you do it in college. Um, but Fuck yeah, <laughs> you're just sticking up for what's right for you. I love that. I, I love that. But what I really love is that you realize, because that's what happened with me, because I had severe panic disorder all mm-hmm. through from 19 to 28. And it was the same reaction that any kind of stimulus or things that altered me would mm-hmm. only enhance the severity of my panic. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where a lot of, uh, like, that's one of the cornerstones of um, where my health journey was. I mean, it didn't initially start with that. I think initially it starts with what a lot of people usually start with of like, oh, I want to get really physically fit. I want it to, like I was competing in triathlons and marathons and all that. And I was like, I want to be able to be the best person at these things. Um, And with food, I can do that. But then it's like, I also noticed how you can really affect and like tinker with these other components of your life. And anxiety has been something that's like such a big problem for me in the past that I wanted to also be able to at least put myself in the least likely situation of experiencing that possible. Wow. So besides like an anxiety, did you have any kind of like physical symptoms of belly aches or digestive problems that you were aware of 
Yeah, I didn't really think of it until later because people always talk about bloating as if it's like, <laughs> like it's supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah. Like I remember there's something going around on Instagram for a while, like basically saying like, oh, everyone gets bloated. It's fine. And I was like, okay, like that's, nice. I guess, yeah, we all get bloated sometimes. And okay. Also there are the like times of the month where that's going to happen naturally. Definitely. But it was more recently, probably in the past five years when I first started, um, like being introduced to the fasting protocols where I realized, oh, <laughs> lols, you actually aren't <laughs> supposed to be bloated all the time and be uncomfortable and in pain. Like mm-hmm. I would eat a lunch well through like my early twenties and have to lay on my stomach while I worked because it was so like painfully mm. bloated. And I was like, oh, but everyone experiences this. So it's fine. And I mean, that's something else my dad always taught me is like, just because everyone experiences something doesn't mean that it's what the body is supposed to be doing. And I think that's also something that a lot of people don't realize you know, with health is that just because everyone else experiences it doesn't mean that it's how the body is naturally supposed to intended to be. Right. And because we're all built differently, mm-hmm. you know, then, you know, what's good for someone else isn't necessarily good for you or me or Meg, you know? Yeah. And so we get to learn that. So it, it seemed like... Two, then you are driven by not only, you know, the anxiety, but also then the food component, you know, gets in. And and so then how did you bridge, I guess, from the nutrition part into the physical, the fitness part? Where did that kind of come together? What was that like? Oh, wow. You were always in, you know, because you said you were always into physical and you were doing these like, you know, things. And did it just come to you like, you know what, why don't I also become you know, someone that's, you know, really um, empowering, let's say, your clients to also take on this physical piece as a part of our health? Yeah. Well, I just want to make sure I understand the question. So you're saying like how exercise fits into- Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's also, I think, again, a unique perspective that I have that I get a lot of hate on YouTube about. Um, (laughs) But it's where, you know, we, I view exercise as like, the homeostasis, the balance that you have within your body, you need to have some exercise and that's going to be in the balance for your own health needs. And having too little is not good, but also having too much is equally, if not worse. So for me, it's more so not incorporating the exercise. I found with a lot of my clients, it's actually (laughs) de-incorporating the exercise, if that's actually a word. Um, Relaxing a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And having that balance, I think mostly being in LA, is something that I've seen a lot of this happen with where, you know, SoulCycle is all over the place or all like, um, what's that boot camp one called? Oh, Barry's boot camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you get all of these really high intensity interval training type of workouts yeah. that people are doing every single day. It's not that to say there's not a place for those types of workouts. Like certainly there is mm-hmm. once, twice a week maximum. And that's even if you're already at a state where you have enough sleep, you're recovering properly with your food, um, with stretching, with walking, but so many people are just like, oh, I got to go hard for my workouts and I have to get like this intense workout in. Otherwise, it's, why even work out? What's the point? Um, and I'm not going to achieve my goals otherwise. So for me, it was more introducing this concept, especially on my YouTube channel, um, where you don't necessarily need to be doing more. In fact, most people need to be doing less and incorporating some type of active rest as well. I loved that episode. I was like literally watching it in the tub, cheering, going, thanks, Autumn. Thanks for telling people they don't have to kill themselves to be able to, you know, get a good workout in that walking 
is actually pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's something else that like one of the two videos that really blew up my channel was my video of walking is better than running for weight loss, Yeah, um, which is the one that also gets simultaneously a lot of uh, hate from other personal trainers. You're doing something <laughs> right. You're doing something right. If you they're, it's like, you know, you're, cause you're stirring the pot. But also yeah. I think it's so important because as somebody growing up here that was very fit, played a lot of sports that idea that you need to be pushing your body to that extreme. I just think about how many friends I know that have suffer from chronic fatigue, adrenal fatigue, PCOS, all of PCOS, lost their period. Yep. All yeah. of that. So many people, so many mm. clients and friends that I work with that are struggling with this balance of actually nourishing their body and giving their body that active rest that you were talking about. I mean, it's yeah. so important. Yeah. And it's like, it's that missing component that I think a lot of us, you know, we, it's, I hate to be like, it's the diet industry, but it's also kind of yeah. is because we're so constantly told like you need to do more instead of just you know, achieving a balance. And I think balance also has this really negative connotation where anyone has picked it up to mean whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like people can say like, oh, there's a balance with drinking. Oh, there's a balance with work. But also for each person, work balance is different. Like it's just really taken on this different connotation. Yeah. But there's actually a scientific type of balance, balance. called homeostasis. And there's evidence of that within the body every single thing that we're doing. So we have um, homeostasis with our blood glucose levels where it's always trying to achieve that that balanced blood glucose level. So if it gets too high, the body releases insulin to bring it back down. If it gets too low, it'll stimulate the liver to then pump out some uh, glucose to bring it back up. And then there's like body temperature where we're always trying to keep the exact body temperature. And there's evidence of that real scientific balance within our body at every corner but we also need to be mimicking that within our life so that we can get that repair as well as the stress on our body that we need. We need to have that balance of both. And that's where I think, too, what's so interesting is how sleep now is, thank God, making its way to the top of the A-list. Yeah. It's like it's been so underrated for so many years. And that's part of that balance where especially yeah. people like my age, you know, are... Um, are very concerned about brain health and, you know, dementia or things like that and how there are all these studies now about the importance of sleep and that that is the only time that our brain actually gets its rest and detoxes so that we can get that balance. Yeah. And it's not just our brain, like obviously our brain too. Right. But I think that's also, again, something that people forget is that you need, you know, when you're sleeping is literally the time that your body is rebuilding itself. Exactly. So even if you're focused on the physical, so exercise and you just did a hard workout, if you don't have that proper amount of rest in order to recover from that workout, which also includes sleep um, in addition to food, then your body is never going to repair the muscles that were torn down during your workout. So you're always going to be in that broken down state. And that's where, you know, you can get issues with immune system or not even, you know, on the more vain side, not even achieving the, um, the muscle mass that you're looking for either. Wow. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Um, so this piece that all of our girls really have wrapped their themselves around and intermittent fasting, but I, I just have to do preface here because when Megan and I, you know, we spend a lot of time together and she goes, ah, you don't eat till so late. And I don't know, you know, I'm very intuitive with a lot of things that I don't have any idea about. Eating too late versus forgetting to eat are very different. Well, no, but, <laughs> no, but I just, I don't know, you know, as, as again, as we age, 
I'm not hungry at eight, nine, 10 in the, you know, the morning. I like to do a workout first. So I would get my workout in first and then have my smoothie. And then all of a sudden it was like, it blew up with intermittent fasting and autophagy. And there was a lot of information and I was listening to a lot, but you really have nailed it down. Let's talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. So intermittent fasting is interesting because the, I mean, the whole reason why I created the program, so the Complete Intermittent Fasting Bundle, is because there was so much information that there's so much misinformation Good. out there. And I just kept on seeing article after article after article on pretty like what we would think of as reputable health sites that most people go to um, that were just saying like, oh, you can eat whatever you want, but just mm-hmm. eat it during a smaller period. And <laughs> there's so many hormonal type of issues with that. I mean, that's a whole other rabbit hole that literally 200 plus videos are dedicated to. Um, but you know, it's, <laughs> that was like the whole reasoning behind that. But intermittent fasting itself is pretty intuitive. Like what you're saying, it's something that most of us hormonally would be doing anyway, if we were also eating the right types of foods that supported it. So it's like, we naturally have higher levels of cortisol in the morning. Cortisol makes it so that we naturally have more fuel sources available, which means that it should be that you aren't hungry because you have these fuel sources there. Um, so it's, <laughs> you're saying, yay, oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, even with kids, you'll see before they've been trained to eat every couple of hours, you'll see that they aren't even hungry right away. Um, and in a lot of countries where culturally they, you know, they've, they still have a culture <laughs> in how they eat, um, that they don't eat a breakfast or it's a really, really light breakfast for their first meal. So it's something that has been very intuitive for so long. It's just, we've also messed up now on what we're eating during that window that it has gotten so much more complex. Exactly. And so like just having been a school teacher and it, you know, being just shoved down us to say, have you eaten, Mm -hmm. you know, or when I started having kids, you know, in the beginning, I just, eventually I would just make a breakfast give it to them because so many of the kids whenever we would eat it. Yeah. And eventually they would eat their healthy choice breakfast and be satisfied, you know? And so instead of wigging out about, oh, you're not eating breakfast, but allowing them to actually learn what does hungry feel like? Yeah. Yeah. And actually allowing for those natural fasting periods where, you know, people get scared by the word fasting because it sounds like you're going for a long time, like days or something. Or water which, fasting. Right. Which there are, you know, therapeutic benefits for that. There's mm-hmm. a specific situation that you'd use that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but fasting just means, I mean, breakfast, if you look at the term breakfast, it literally just means breaking the fast. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, just like what you're saying, listening, being able to listen to your body when, when it actually needs to eat is a super important type of concept that I think a lot of us have lost. Well, and then besides the when is the what? Which is 90% of it. (laughs) Right. And so the standard American diet, that's this, you know, sugar frosted flakes, you know, um, Mm -hmm. really high sugared cereal Tell them the science, you know, share with them the science behind what's that actually doing to this child and to adults. Yeah, and to adults because there's a lot of people, even who think maybe they're doing something right by eating um, a smoothie. smoothie. Honestly, I mean, this is what I learned with Autumn is when you sat down with me and I really like wrote out like what I'm eating in a day and what I was putting in my smoothie is I was having great ingredients, Mm -hmm. but the quantity I was using, how I was combining them, Mm -hmm. what I was, the, the, 
the actual quantity of the smoothie itself, like too much of a good thing can just be too much on the body mm-hmm. yeah. and really learning like what works for me. Like, like you would think a smoothie is so healthy and good for yeah. you, Yeah. but what is it really? What's actually in it. And yeah. that's where the, you know, one of the perks of intermittent fasting is that it helps to naturally bring down your insulin levels, which is our storing hormone. Um, and when you look at like, let's just give the example of weight loss, because that's what a lot of people are looking for. Mm-hmm. When you look at how we lose weight, we need to naturally get that insulin level down so it can release the fat from fat cells. Um, but when you also are pairing that then with the blood glucose spiking and therefore insulin spiking foods, even if it's from a good source, but it's very dense in sugar, uh, then that's ultimately just going to put your blood glucose levels on a wild ride where you're hungry every couple of hours as a result. Um, and ultimately makes your fasting period more difficult and that your body isn't able to tap into fat burning either. Uh, so I know that that was something that you initially said that you were you were even like hungrier too. Yeah, I yeah. was having these, well, I just think the amount of sugar from like the coconut waters, mm-hmm. the date I would put in there and like switching up like the types of sugar. Like, I mean, I know for me growing up and also just with like our program that we would teach and how it's evolved in our like evolution of teaching these cleansing programs of like bananas and being yeah. terrified of eating bananas or certain like fruit fear and different mm-hmm. things that like as also somebody that has to really manage my candida and like yeast yeah. overgrowth like I have to be careful with certain things but like how unconsciously these foods that I was eating like swapping just water for like with and adding like a healthy fat to make it that creamy or yeah. little things that like you were just so good at just helping shed light to. And that's what you did for me, Meg, too, because she would bring it back to me (laughs) about, Ma, you are putting so much sugar in the smoothie. (laughs) And and so now what I've been doing is like literally doing four handfuls of my greens. It's great. You know, just like a little bit of a banana. I barely use dates anymore, Mm -hmm. but, you know, just really swapping better for me out. But my biggest trick is making homemade chai because it's free. There's no sugar in it. There's no caffeine True. in it. Mm-hmm. Like and I use that yeah. instead mm-hmm. of the coconut water that had oh, calories yeah. and sugar. Yeah. And then I add a splash of a little unsweetened, you know, hazelnut or hemp milk. Yeah. Yeah. And and when you, it's such a transition period, mm-hmm. this, you know, where you come off of sugar, it's you know, almost like a drug in that sense. There's yes. even studies that show that it has that like it same is. opioid type of response in yeah. the brain, that pleasure um, receptor, mm-hmm. uh, which can make it so difficult to come off of at first. Mm-hmm. That's you know, especially why with the program I have, I have the seven days first of making sure that you detox the body of a yeah. lot of those things. Um, otherwise, it's so difficult to transition into incorporating a fasting period if you don't first address the sugars. Sugars are so addictive. It has such a big immediate impact on the body. Um, and it's one of the most important factors to address first before you continue on with um, the rest of the more advanced strategies. Well, yeah, because it's also so emotional. Yeah. I, I live with a sugar addict that he loves his sugar, you know, daddy. Yeah. I, we always tease him about it. And it is, it's very emotional but because it, that's his pleasure food. Yeah. yeah. And as a culture too, I feel like that's what we celebrate. You celebrate with cakes. You get, yeah. when you win a game, you go get ice cream. Like it's so tied ingrained into this 
yeah. our society, or like after, what you do. Yeah, after soccer, you know, all the soccer yeah, games was go true. to Costco <laughs> and buy these big bags of candies after yeah, they the finish their the game. Yeah, the foot is what I remember oh after gosh. soccer games. <laughs> exactly. Well, and it's like, it's really like getting back to like what you're doing with this program is like retraining the brain and like what we reach for and what we put in and just like kind of that awareness around the food that we feed ourselves. Yeah, and because... You know, it's not even that you have to get rid of sugar completely mm-hmm. or forever. In fact, I don't think that's sustainable for most people. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> um, because that is like what you're saying. That's what a lot of people celebrate with. And I think that there is something important about still having a celebratory type of food that, you know, every now and then you have like mm-hmm. something that can, um, you know, traditionally we've always had something like that. Even when sugar is more scarce, there's always been that celebratory food that people will go for. Um, but it's actually more of what I've seen is the everyday snacks that people reach for. Snacks are the bane of anyone's existence. Um, I mean, look at the, you know, like air pop popcorn. Yeah. Great one where people think, oh, it's just popcorn. It's perfect. Like a good snack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which ultimately is going to just break down really quickly into those same sugars. And then there's like all of the little healthy protein bars that are packed with sugar. It's more of those snacky items mm-hmm. that people don't realize they're eating on a daily basis that have a bigger impact than those celebratory meals. Wow. That's Ugh. such good information. So when you were talking about, you know, look, we're not after giving it up completely in our lives. What is your feeling about the 80-20, you know? Like, how do you break down, like, 80-20 rule yeah. of a lifestyle? I think it depends on the person, and you have to be honest about, with yourself where mm-hmm. you're at, because if you are truly addicted to sugar, then 80-20 isn't going to work. Okay. And that's something I've seen with a lot of my clients who have are you know, self-admitted um, sugar addicts, mm-hmm. and it's, it's almost like getting rid of, this is an extreme example, but not... Um, deciding that you're going to quit cigarettes. Yeah. Like you can't just have one every now and then if you're addicted to cigarettes, it's not going to work. You're just going to fall back into it. Mm. So that's where for someone like that, having a period of just completely wiping it clean so your body can reset is super important. Um, but if you already do have more of a, you know, quote unquote balanced lifestyle yeah. where you are eating more satiating foods that promote satiety and that you aren't going to have that wild blood glucose ride, then yeah, you could find that balance that's not going to trigger more cravings um, and you can still have that type of celebratory meal. So 80-20, I think, is a good like concept, but it doesn't necessarily work for everyone. Yeah. And that's that's so true because too, you know, we find it too with just our clients, and I'm sure you do with yours as well, is that after they're done, after 21 days or 30 days, they come back and they go, I don't even crave yeah. any sugar. My my taste buds are different now. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what we're going for. That's exactly I was going to say. It's like working with people that were before they'll go back after eliminating it and try the sugar. And they're like, I can't even palate it. It's so sweet. Like, yeah. like I was saying before, just like the amount of unconscious sugar we're consuming in yeah. so many products. Like, by eliminating it, it allows you to kind of be able to enjoy the natural sugars that are occurring in fruit in naturally sweet things right. like a date. Like now we might not be adding them into our smoothies, but we can mm-hmm. have one stuffed with peanut butter as like our treat <laughs> and it's delicious. Which sounds amazing. Yeah, <laughs> It's exactly. a caramel, a chewy caramel yeah. frozen. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just um, like with that whole idea of sugar in general. It's just what you're saying. Your taste buds change. You won't necessarily even crave them as much, but you can always have them as a celebratory treat every now and then. How long would you say it typically takes for somebody to 
create that change, like in their body? Like if you're trying to really shift something, is there like a specific time frame that you would typically do like for mm-hmm. your program? Is there a specific reason that it, your program is how long it is? Like scientifically, is that like the regeneration of yourself and everything <laughs> to work? <laughs> Give us the science. Well, from what I've seen, um, especially with working with one-on-one clients, it's really minimum three days is necessary. And that three days just makes it so that you can at least reset and and have a full three days of not consuming sugar and also reincorporating foods back in that make it so that you are getting that balanced blood glucose level, which if you aren't replacing that sugar with something, then you're going to fail because you're not satiated. And then that's when the sugar cravings come in. So it's kind of like a cascade. Yes. So the the sugars though, for those three days, are you eliminating like carbohydrates that actually turn into sugar or just sugar in general, like fruits and refined sugars and refined grains? What I typically recommend is the refined sugars, even um, sugar alcohol, stevia, monk fruit, because they still can stimulate an insulin response. Um, And then also any refined type of carbohydrates. So things that break down very quickly into sugars, because ultimately, regardless of what the carbohydrate is, it's going to break down into sugars. It's just how quickly it's going to be released and how much of it there is. And with the refined carbohydrate versus like, let's say a sweet potato, you're going to get way more density to that carbohydrate that has way more sugars that are going to break down. And there's not really any fiber or anything to slow it down. So you're going to get a big spike too. So it's the complex carbohydrates that are safer. It's Whole food sources. Well, that's what I mean. The <laughs> yeah, whole because there's still the exactly the, whole, the um, complex meaning could even just be a starch. So mm-hmm. a starch yeah. could come from flour still even. Uh-huh. Um, so ultimately, you want to make sure that you're getting from whole food sources. And going back to like that time frame, three days is just really the minimum for anyone. Yeah. What I would recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people need longer, and that's where seven days is a good buffer where yeah. you can get that done. Some people need longer than that. They need to go three weeks, a month. Like I had a client who did a full month of no added sugars. Actually for her, it was, um, she already had completely eliminated added sugars. It was the non-nutritive sweeteners. So stevia, monk fruit, sugar alcohols. And she saw such immediate changes from that, but she was so addicted to having even the Mm -hmm. sugar alcohols and stevia and the monk fruit that she needed to have that month to just fully eliminate it out. I love that, that like awareness because people, you think that these are good alternatives, you Mm -hmm. know, like these are better for you sugars, but at the end of the day, your body doesn't understand the difference. Sugar, sugar. Right. Yeah. And with something like stevia monk fruit where, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't have calories. So that's why people think, okay, then it's fine. Um, it, but ultimately what the studies are showing is that it's still not everyone, but it still can have an effect on insulin because it triggers that sensation of sweetness. And when that sensation of sweetness is triggered, it releases preemptively that storing hormone insulin because it's getting ready to store whatever sugar is coming down the pipe. And since you don't eat any sugar, you know, any, um, caloric, source of sugar with that stevia, it can also increase sugar cravings further because you weren't getting that satisfaction from the insulin being released and there's nothing to store. That is so wild. I love it because I've never been a fan of stevia. I didn't like the taste of it. (laughs) I just, that was never, you know, the same thing when, um, 
What was the other one, the other liquid? Not the coconut um, monk fruit, nectar. Maybe? Well, monk fruit is what I or want to any, talk about. Like erythritol, xylitol. What, yeah, but it was, what's the Mexican plant that turns into sugar? Agave. Agave. That was another one For that we so just long. didn't, yeah. we didn't use it because we were told right away that it's not necessarily good and it will spike your insulin. Well, just how processed it was. Yeah. Was kind of, like for us, yes. it's, like, at the end right. of the day, we, we always preach whole, close to the source, minimally processed. I mean, that's our goal with everything that we're trying to eat. Yeah. And then refining it depending on your health and preferences and your goals to really make it achievable. Yeah. Um, Well, so the, the whole thing that I started bringing in was the monk fruit. So I'm like really happy to be educated on that because, you know, um, I'm thinking, okay, well, it's only four grams of sugar instead of 50 grams, Mm -hmm. you know, of let's say a honey in it. And so it must be better. But in actuality, what you're saying is, no, it really isn't. Well, it's just kind of difficult in science because we don't know what the um, upper limit is. Like Mm -hmm. we don't know, you know, we know toxic levels of various vitamins, Mm -hmm. for example, like vitamin D we know, Mm -hmm. um, or other fat soluble vitamins or even, you know, heavy metals. We know toxic levels. Sugar, we don't know for each person what's going to be that toxic level for them Mm -hmm. that causes their body to shift into more of a disease state. So it's hard to say like for each person, what is going to be that level for you? For some people, it's near zero. And for other people, they can have a little bit more. But just generally a good rule of thumb is to make sure that whatever sugar sources you are consuming Mm -hmm. is not from a refined source, that it's from something that naturally contains that sugar because it's naturally packaged with what's going to make that sugar a slower release. And it's naturally going to be typically lower in sugar than the alternative. So my date is great. <laughs> I love that. Okay, well, this is this is amazing. I, I love that. I have a question, though, about two. Um, at what age would you say intermittent fasting, sh- you know, could be introduced to, let's say, a teenager? Or, like, what do you have feelings on that? I would say first, before ever incorporating intermittent fasting, someone needs mm-hmm. to address their food because you can't really have that you know, unstable blood glucose level, especially with what most high schoolers are eating, mm-hmm. um, and and incorporate intermittent fasting. It'll mm-hmm. ultimately be counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, really at any age, there's not really, a again, a limit to that because, again, we have that natural fast state that most of us will naturally start to shift to if we're given the right types of foods where most people aren't going to be hungry right when they wake up. So it's not necessarily incorporating a structure for people that I would recommend at a younger age. It's just allowing them to eat when they're hungry and giving them the types of foods that will allow them to make that decision. That is so you're basically talking about intuitive eating without like calling it the, you're adding the science to the intuitive <laughs> eating, which I love because it is, mm-hmm. it's really hard to grasp that concept when, I mean, as somebody that has struggled with eating disorders and like, like being able to like so properly good. nourish my mm-hmm. body, learning that it is like how when listening to when my body's hungry and listening to when it's not hungry or when you think you should be eating, because that's the timetable we've been given that we eat at X time, X time and X time with the snacks in between and really like shattering that paradigm to be like, what works best for me? Right. And what ultimately with that more intuitive approach, because it's really the body understanding when it is that it needs to eat and what it needs needs to eat and how much it needs to eat. Mm -hmm. We also need to address the how much Because that's another component that people think, oh, well, I'm just going to have this like four leaves of lettuce, um, two ounces of chicken, and that's a great salad. 
But ultimately, we also need to be making sure you're eating until satiated because that's what we would do. That's what our body wants is mm-hmm. to actually stimulate those satiety hormones, peptide YY and CCK. And if you can do that, then you will naturally have a fasted period um, because you aren't, you've triggered those satiety hormones and your body isn't going to be hungry. I love that because it's so, it really plays into that piece again, like as somebody that over-exercised under eight would restrict so many Mm. calories. And I mean, Mm. even now, like I think being raised with parents that were low fat, this and this in a community where it's very health conscious, we're living in bikinis so much of the year. How do you go about introducing a program like this for somebody? It's like you said, I like how you said, like it has to start with the food. Yeah. Like addressing the food. Are you saying like, how do you convince someone to eat more <laughs> in order to <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. How does it, that's what I'm like, I'm so, like, I know I've seen you talk about this, yeah. but I'm just like, it is so, that is literally retraining your brain. And it do is people- a lot of retraining the brain. And I think that what has worked out well, like why I've been able to get this message across is because I'm explaining why it's happening. It's not just, oh, like eat more so you don't enter starvation mode. What is that? Like, yeah. <laughs> explain to me the mechanisms of that. And that's, you know, going back to school days for me, where I realized how much of nutrition were just guidelines that they're giving and not actually telling us the reasoning why, because there usually wasn't a reasoning why. Yeah. Um, that for me, it I really forced myself to learn every single aspect of mechanisms and how it actually is working in the body um, so that you can make the right decision based off of not what someone else is telling you, but understanding how the body works. And I think that's why people are feeling more empowered to be able to eat more because they're actually understanding the science that a lot of people either don't understand or they don't take the time to explain. Wow. Can you explain to our listeners about what does satiating your body mean? Like, what does that mean? (laughs) So satiating, I mean, essentially, I hate to use the word full because it comes off as like a negative connotation. Mm -hmm. Like we think of like feeling bloated and icky, but it essentially just means the nice way of full. (laughs) (laughs) It means that you aren't hungry. And what I, you know, typically like to explain is you feel satisfied that you don't need to eat for at least three hours. And there's a very specific reason behind at least three hours. And it's because, again, when you really get into the rabbit hole, the meat of this, it you can really get into the weeds yeah. of nutrition. <laughs> um, but when you eat until satiated, naturally you should be satisfied for at least that three to four hour range, which is convenient because then during that three to four hour range, more specifically three hours, 45 minutes, is how long it takes for what's called the migrating motor complex or the MMC Mm -hmm. to flush out leptine food and bacteria that's in your small intestine. So the cleaning crew, so it gets out whatever's left behind so that you don't have bacterial overgrowth, so you don't have the bloating that results from the overgrowth. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a natural cleaning process that results from the satiety that you can achieve if you didn't have that satiety. So it's all like really tied into each other where when you start looking at all these pieces individually and then putting them together, you're like, oh, it makes sense. Like, that's why. That's the snacking. That's why the snacking mm-hmm. is that silent killer because exactly. it's, it's not allowing your body to fully get reach that, that state to get everything cleared out. You're just constantly feeding. And snacking is something that I view as a big sign that you didn't eat enough of something earlier because you are feeling that urge to eat something where if you, you know, if you achieve true satiety and if you're really activating that peptide YY and CCK um, that are secreted in response to protein and fat, then you shouldn't feel the urge to eat for that three hours and 45 minutes. Um, You know, there's always the 
odd case of if you didn't sleep enough or if you are highly stressed, but ultimately, if you are actually eating until satiated, you shouldn't feel the urge to snack. So if you are snacking, then that's a big sign you didn't get enough of something. So what are those foods that are going to help you feel satiated? Because I know you talked about the salad with the chicken, which I mean, you look at a lot of the fitness influencers and YouTubers anywhere. And what they're showing is these plates. I mean, from vegan, pescatarian, fruititarian, like all of the different things. Like what are some of those foods that are going to really help promote feeling satiated when you're eating a meal? Well, when we look at what is the basic... um, you know, the basic hormones that are secreted that tell our brain that we're full, you know, the basic ones that you'll learn in physiology and nutrition, again, if you're paying attention, (laughs) really learning (laughs) everything, not just memorizing, um, is something called peptide YY and cholecystokinin or CCK for short. Those two are secreted in response to protein and fat. So if you don't get enough of one of those two things, then you're not going to get enough of either peptide YY or CCK to fully trigger that you are satiated. So Mm. most people... I've seen it can really be one or the other because, you know, especially for, I think, women tend to not eat enough of the fat component and men tend to not eat enough of the protein component. That's just a generalization, but something that I have seen. Um, But it can go either way where it's just maybe overall not eating enough of either. I love it. So making sure you're getting adequate sources of protein and fats. And, and that's, high quality sources. And high quality. <laughs> right. Yes. Like where you're getting it from matters. And I mean, you talked about hormones, but the hormones that they're putting into some of these proteins that really do affect us yeah. yeah, in the long run. And then what do you feel about, you know, the combining, you know, the food combining is so important. At least that's what I learned when I was growing up. You know, you don't put the fruit with an animal protein. You know, I think that mostly stems from like Ayurvedic principles, um, which I think that there's some, like definitely, obviously it's been around for a long time. So I think there's some merit to what it's talking about. I'm not sure if it applies as much to, um, you know, at least from what I've seen, especially things like having fruit on its own because it'll like quote unquote ferment. I've not actually seen any research on that. And I've actually seen it better to be paired with certain foods. So like having, if you are going to have some fruit, having it in your, like in a smoothie, for example, Mm -hmm. um, having it with the high quality sources of protein and fat and enough of it and not too much of the fruit so that you can get that stable release of blood glucose um, or glucose into the blood rather. So, I mean, I'm not sure if that answered your question, but. No, it does. It does. I mean, because it's just been in my head and in my learning for so many years that I was just curious Mm -hmm. if you had, you know, come across that. Yeah, I think like if you are referring to the Ayurvedic, then that's mostly what the biggest thing I've seen. It, it was it was from like Nelson Haas, you know, that he goes way back as a nutritionist that, you know, he was really big and even fit for life, you know, the food combining way back when I was, you know, first studying all of this. Yeah. You know, you know what I found is really interesting about <laughs> nutrition research mm-hmm. where a lot of nutrition stems and a lot of these um, different protocols stem from is not saying, cause I don't actually don't know anything about either of those, mm-hmm. but a lot of these stem from initially what was pretty poor science in the fifties and sixties. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, this is something else I wish they would teach more of in school, but they don't like, I had to do this research on my own is that, you know, like for example, with physics, you learn about all the different people, the theories that they came up with, how they came up with that, and then going on from there. So you can understand the train of thought, the flow of thought for mm-hmm. different sciences. You don't do that for nutrition. You just get taught the basics of the physiology, and then you get taught the guidelines um, that, you know, the USDA, um, FDA type of guidelines. 
And with a lot of these, the research that was done during that time, it was bad research. It's still very difficult to study nutrition because it, it's the only science where you can't just have one variable because no matter what, you're always changing at least two things. Even if you look at like, let's say comparing a low fat diet versus a high fat diet, um, with that, you're not just changing one thing. You're inherently changing the proportion of both carbohydrates and fat, which means you're changing two variables. So you don't know if it's because you lowered the carbohydrates or if you increase the fat. Even if you keep the carbohydrates and protein the same, but you just change the fat, now you're changing the amount of food that people are consuming. So there's always two different variables that people mm. are changing, which means you can never truly have a cause and effect. Um, and that's assuming that people are even doing experimental studies because then there's most studies, which is what most people base their um, philosophies off of are observational and observational can tell you a direction to look, but it does not indicate cause and effect. So you cannot say this type of diet causes this thing because you actually haven't tested it. You've observed the possibility, but you haven't actually tested it, which might seem like a big different, you know, not much of a difference between those two. Um, but there's a lot of things that can affect that. Or there's a lot of, uh, when you look at, you know, how, nutrition seems to always be contradicting itself, mm -hmm. it's because those studies are observational. Because if you actually look at the actual original research, because each of those are actually observing something, not testing something. Um, so it's easy to get different results from that. Well, and don't you think too, for from what you just said, is like the variable too is no two people are alike. So if you get a room full of, you know, 2000 people, every one of them are yeah. going to be different and have a different reaction. So how can your test actually be valid? Exactly. And even with um, that individuality, it's a concept called bio-individuality right. where a very easy example of this, where you can show how each person is different is um, something called lactase persistence. So it's where you can actually trace back in history where multiple different cultures started to develop the ability to continue to have lactase produced. So the enzyme that breaks down the milk sugar, right. um, to continue to have that produced after infancy. And that's popped up in multiple different locations. Like in, um, I believe it's Ireland, they have almost a hundred percent of their people have uh, lactase persistence. So the ability to continue to break it down, but those of Asian descent don't, it's like 11% or something along those lines. So even from that, you can see how each person is very different in how their body responds to food. It's so amazing. It's almost, I know we talked a lot about this when you were going through your nutrition program and I was asking you about it because I too felt very frustrated by the information that I was researching about entering a program and how I didn't necessarily agree with it. And it almost mm -hmm. felt like you said, it is very dated. And yeah. it's like, when you think about science, the whole point of creating a theory is to be until it's proven otherwise. And it's almost as like now we're having to challenge these theories on our own, but it's not getting the credit that they kind of deserve. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's really just a lot of things have come become almost like dogma where mm -hmm. it's difficult to um, even question something else. And yeah. really with science, the whole point is that you're always questioning it. Even different theories that we think are consistent can be questioned. Um, and with every other field, we see that those theories that have been set in place are always questioned, but something as simple as a theory of calories in, calories out causes weight loss is not questioned anymore. And that's yeah. still just a theory. Yeah. And that's what people don't understand is that there are differing theories, but it's very difficult to get funding for these types of things um, and to actually get it tested because I mean, it's just become dogma at this point. 
It's why you get a lot of hate on YouTube. I mean, yeah. oh <laughs> you are yeah. questioning people's <laughs> belief systems. I, yeah, I think this is, I mean, it's so much information and it's so good to have this awareness that you really do have to advocate for yourself, especially when it comes to health. You are the only person that can feel how certain things are affecting your body. And like, as I've said, like really having to retrain your brain from what you've been taught in school and in society to knowing like what feels good in your gut, literally and figuratively, <laughs> right. you know, I can't help myself. I love these. <laughs> But will you, why don't you explain a little bit about your intermittent fasting, the bundle that you created, the program, the type of people that would be searching for this yeah. and how the, some of the results that people see from this. Yeah. So I, the whole thing is the complete intermittent fasting bundle and it's broken up really into three phases. First one is a prereq. So that's the the seven day IFD talks, mm -hmm. um, which goes over like what we're talking about, getting rid of a lot of those foods that can actually inhibit fat burning in the body. So mm -hmm. sugar being one of them. Um, and then the second is incorporating a lot of the nutrient timing and intermittent fasting. That's the 21 day intermittent fasting program. Mm -hmm. And that's like the phase one, really. So the first yeah. one's prereq and then phase one. And, um, and then from there, it's the level up guide. And with the, the phase one, by the way, that's like, sometimes I recommend people do it two to three times before they even move on to the level up guide, depending on how, where their body's at. And if they had like really high refined type of carbohydrates in the past, if they really need to work on their sleep, all these different factors. Um, and then the level up guide goes more specific into a specific protocol, depending on your needs. So now it has six protocols. You used to have five. I actually just updated it in June, I believe. It was such a labor of love is like so eight months worth of yeah. recreating this massive program. Um, but there's things like the gut healing guru, the hormone balancing pro, um, the athlete advanced weight loss strategies. And then I even have a wedding protocol because. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> because you're getting, getting married. married. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's where people can find more of like their from there now that they've addressed the intermittent fasting, the nutrient timing, the um, detoxification process. Now that they can hone in more specifically into what it is that they're looking for. Um, so in terms of who it would be helpful for anyone who's really looking to figure out what it is that their body's trying to tell them and how to achieve their goals where you're actually going to get clarification on, you know, the science behind it. I mean, this is something, like I said, it was a labor of love, especially for the level up guide, um, where I really put in every ounce of my soul <laughs> into these programs so that I could just best help people cut through the confusion. Because I know when I was in school, even studying this stuff, I felt like maybe I'm, I'm dumb or something because people, <laughs> yeah. it, there's so much just uh, brushing things off as memorization. So memorizing things and not actually breaking down what things mean. And I need to know how things work in order to understand it. So I wanted to be able to translate that to others because that was such a sticking point for me in actually being able to understand the how and not just what you should be doing. And, and I think that's what made it so successful because just being a teacher, you know, myself, it is the beauty of this program too. And just you, you know, being able to, because I think all of us need to know how is this working? Why is this working? And yeah. you're giving this gift of knowledge to people because in essence, you know, the program is one thing, just like, you know, like for, we're always saying the reset is a lifestyle. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not just oh, for this particular time. And yes, you might do intermittent fasting, what quarterly, twice a year, you know, whatever you decide, or you incorporate it kind of like me, you know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. I, I intermittent fast, but there's more to it. If you are looking for some particular result, 
Yeah. And you have so much knowledge about it. I mean, what's been really cool, I think, is that it has really triggered a lot of, um, you know, just understanding on how the body works for so many people where they're Mm -hmm. able to understand, okay, now I can make adjustments for myself. Like now I actually get this. Like I had one person who's a physicist, which was really cool. We, I actually got to talk with her um, for an interview on my channel and we got to like actually like really deep down in the weeds, nerd out on things. I love it. Um, but yeah. she, because she's a physicist, because she wants to understand the why behind things, that was where it really clicked for her. She told me like, oh yeah, I did all these other programs or just tell me eat up to six tablespoons of chickpeas per day. And she'd be like, but why? Like, what's the reasoning behind yep. this? Um, so for her understanding how the body's actually working was what really stuck. And now she's like, she's, what is it? She's 40 pounds down in like six months. She's wow. really, yeah, she's um, amazing, amazing results. Um, and she just feels so much better too. And she loves what she's eating. She's eating until satiated. It's just such a life changer. I think it's that you give you are empowering people with the tools to understand why it's it's important for them if you're trying to reach this goal and how to make it happen. It's very tangible steps. And also in the programs, it's not just like a one size fits all. You like really tailor it for people to like work within what works best for you. Like I know when we were working every day doing the intermittent fasting was really challenging for me. So I did the crescendo crescendo fasting and like that's watch her YouTube videos about it. She talks about it. Like we don't need to go into it here, but like the beauty of these programs are still so personalized and it's not Mm -hmm. just the recipes and the program and the timing and the information as to the why, which is so, so easy to understand. It's also exercises paired with it and all these other things like you, I know when you say it was a labor of love, there was, (laughs) there's not one thing overlooked in this that is included in these programs. And like I said, I mean, you said the, I don't, I've done the phase one is Uh what I have. And I go back and I use it when I'm feeling like I've kind of fallen off the wagon a bit or anything. Like I use it as, as needed and go back to it when I've kind of like, okay, like I haven't been, I don't have to measure things now. I don't have to like really do that. You kind of get like the eyeball and the feel for it where you start Mm -hmm. making it as these like habits of eating. Right. Which anyone who watches my channel also knows that I never personally measure anything. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly because that's an additional thing you have to wash. So I just Oh my don't God. You and Megan you. are so yeah. alike. Not about the mess. messy. I let, I no like messy. to use the, the caps for like <laughs> yeah. for herbs and spices. So that I just I don't. Have don't. To do. <laughs> yeah. Or I just know what it is. But so everything that Autumn's been talking about will all be linked in these show notes because, oh my gosh, I loved every minute of sitting here with you. I just, I love learning and you have all this new knowledge, you know what I mean? And, and I think it's so timely for everybody because as we know, we're in COVID and what we're trying to do is help build strong bodies, strong immunity so that, you know, we can stay healthy and stronger. And, and so we, we just so appreciate all of your sharing and all your creating to help people do better and feel better. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me on here. It's always mm. fun talking with you guys. It's so <laughs> fun. We, yes, like Peg said, we learn so much from you. You give so much, honestly, like if you have not checked out Autumn Malnutrition on YouTube, she is sharing videos 
all the time. They are so good about every <laughs> single topic you could possibly think of. And they are so informative. As you heard, Pegs, I too love binge watching these videos. You get on a rabbit hole where you're like, well, what next? I what know. about this? Like, okay. <laughs> she like leaves little breadcrumbs for like better understanding. <laughs> it's so good that you just, you're like, okay, I guess I need to go down this one. Well, and then this one. And then you're like 10 videos later and they're very like short and great. Yeah. That you just, yeah. Go, you can go check out her YouTube channel. Go, you can follow her on Instagram at Onamel Nutrition. Mm-hmm. And then you can go to her website. Look, check out her programs. Honestly, like I said, I love it. It's on my phone. I refer back to it often. It's, I'm just so grateful for you. Well, thank you guys. Seriously, it's always fun hanging out with you guys and talking with people that have the same love for all of this that I do and the same passion that I have. Oh my God. And if you love this as much as we love this, please, please leave a a thumbs up, a great review. And, and, you know, if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. And what else, Meg? What else do they need? Share this, share this with your friends. Everyone needs to know Autumn and her wealth of knowledge. (laughs) Yes, please do. So until next time, we just love you and we love you, Autumn. (laughs) Because you're making our life delicious. (laughs) Hi, loves. Meg's here. Have you already joined one of our reset programs? If you haven't, maybe you just need a little bit more personalized support for your health goals. Join me for one-on-one functional medicine coaching sessions. Coaching sessions provide additional support designed specifically to help you detox from stress, excess weight, inflammation, bloat, and all that negative energy out of your life. Healing involves a whole body approach and our Curry Girls Kitchen reset programs and personalized coaching offers just that. Head to currygirlskitchen.com or follow the link in today's show notes to sign up for your free initial 20-minute consult. Let me help you get started on your unique journey to wellness.